Well, welcome again to another episode of The Unhappy Christian. My name is Dr. Rick Peterson, and I am your host for these podcasts. What we do here is we discuss what it means and how to move from toxic spirituality, toxic counterfeit Christianity, and the wilderness that we end up with that, and into the green pastures of healthy, joyful spirituality, as defined by recovering the voice of our shepherd. And so I'm excited to be with you. I'm delighted to be with you. Um, on the other hand, I'm always grieved that I have to be with you on this point because I know many of you are suffering. <clears throat> the Unhappy Christian is a title I chose because I recognized the phenomenon of the unhappy Christian in my years of doing pastoral counseling. It seemed from many directions, many traditions, many denominations, that there was this thread of people who came to see me, whose lives simply weren't working, who were discovering that they had some discontentment tied to their Christian experience. Now, they often come to me not because of that. They come thinking that it's relational issues or it's uh, something uniquely wrong with them or terminally flawed or something, but uh, that's not the case. In fact, what we've discovered is that many times this unhappiness, this chronic unhappiness, is a form of discernment, something for which we should be very grateful because we live in a Western culture with, uh, that is very toxic, very competitive, very driven, and very business-oriented, uh, that is very individualistic. In other words, it's very dehumanizing. And sadly, tragically, much of the Western church has adopted that culture into the church. And so what gets blotted out, what gets eclipsed in the Western church too often is the ability for Christians to hear the voice of their shepherd within the church. They hear the clamor and the clang of the false shepherds. They hear the voice of charlatans. They hear the uh, dead voice of, uh, of their ancient tradition, perhaps being carried forward. But what they're not hearing is the vital life-giving voice of the shepherd. And of course, what I'm referring to there is John chapter 10, where Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and that his sheep hear his voice. So our joy, our delight in living is our intimate fellowship with our shepherd. And to hear his voice is what gives us joy, what gives us meaning, to be in intimate fellowship with him. And there's so much of what is called Christianity in the Western world, and I would su suggest throughout the world, that simply is not. It simply is not Christianity. It's a version of Christianity. It's a, better yet, it's a perversion of Christianity that uses the symbols, that uses the terminologies, that looks like Christianity, therefore sounds like Christianity, but 
there's no transformation in their gospel. It is that powerless form of godliness that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, of which he warned us would be occur. So we have approached this podcast by beginning to recognize the current state of Christianity within Western culture and how that culture has invaded the church and rather than church going out into the culture and bringing a life-giving transformation gospel in Jesus Christ, they have adopted that culture in order to try to get that culture, to try to get the world to like Jesus. When Jesus said, the world will hate you. The world hated me, it will hate you. And why do they why does uh, the world hate Jesus? Because he exposed it for what it is. He exposed it for being far below God's purpose, God's design for humanity. And so the great dream of fallen humanity is that they can find a way to be religious on their own terms. The great dream, the great hope of humanity, fallen humanity, is to be able to relate to God on their own terms, on their own basis, and not on his. And that basis, of course, is his son. Now, in recent weeks, we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. Uh, and be, we've been looking at because we want to recapture, in order to move from the wilderness of our toxic, false spirituality, the counterfeit Christianity, into the green pastures of our Lord. We have to acknowledge that we have been buying into an, an old narrative, a bad narrative, if there's a narrative at all. And so a lot of what we've been told to believe, a lot of what we've been told is just the way it is within Western Christianity is, is not true at all. It's the same state of spiritual condition that occurred within ancient Israel. And which, which God told Jeremiah through Jeremiah 23, he said, Woe to those shepherds who do not care for my people. And then in Matthew 9, we remember, uh, we read that Jesus saw the people and he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't have to stretch. I mean, I didn't come to this overnight. I've come to these conclusions uh, over many decades, many years of personal experience, of observation, of, uh, of study, of research. And I've come to the conclusion that the state of Western Christianity is toxic. Simply put, it's toxic. It has drifted so far from the dock that we can't see the land that the dock was tied to anymore. 90% of professing Western Protestantism is liberal and therefore not even Christian. 8% of it is in gross error. 
and 2% of it struggling for its, its identity with the world. And so how could you be anything but unhappy if that's what you're being asked to live with? So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, is our introduction back into the grand narrative, the grand umbrella narrative under which every Christian lives. It speaks to our identity. It speaks to our purpose. And it speaks to our hope. And it's such a grand uh, text. It's one long sentence in Greek, by the way. And it's the basis upon which Paul builds his whole presentation in the letter to the Ephesians. It's more likely that the letter to the Ephesians was a circular letter, meaning it was intended to go out to all the churches in Asia Minor. And so it's very much intended for you and I. If you are in Christ, this letter is your letter. It's a letter from the Apostle, and therefore from Jesus Christ, to you. So we've been talking in the last few episodes about the foundations and the origins of your faith in Christ. How that it didn't originate in you. It originated in the eternal mind of God. And that you are in Christ, not because you just simply chose to do so one day, though you did exercise an act of faith at one point, but the origins, the ultimate cause for your faith and your union with Christ is the work of God. God has placed you in his son. It's an act that God has performed. And that, therefore, you are an object of grace. You are an object of all-sufficient grace of God. And that he has chosen you for salvation before the creation of the world. What a beautiful thought. Before you were ever born. Before the world was ever formed. Before the foundations of the earth were laid. God had you in mind. That's your story. That's your narrative. If you don't think you matter, you matter. Because God has decided to set his love upon you. And we've learned that he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Think of that. Holy and blameless before an almighty, sovereign, holy God. As his children. So, I mentioned last time that if you don't feel holy and blameless, it's only because you have been uh, habituated to a uh, the wrong narrative. So often, it's such a sigh. <laughs> it's such a point of sigh and, and grief for me. So often, we, we hear this term that Christians are just sinners saved by grace. Oh, yes, sinners just saved by grace. In other words, nothing's really changed about us. Nothing's really transformed about us. There's really no transformation or change in our hearts, minds to speak of. Well, we, we know there should be. We know that conceptually and theologically 
that that should be. That Christians should not be out uh, smoking and chewing and going with people who do. All those moralistic views of, of religion. But we really don't understand that that being in Christ means to become like Christ. And so we hear these, even these songs. I heard one recently. We're just a sinner saved by grace. And everybody kind of smiles and noddingly acknowledges, yeah, oh yes, what a wonderful thought. We just, But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he chose you from the foundation of the world, from the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless. Beloved, if you are in Christ, you are far more than just a sinner saved by grace. Now, technically, that's true. There's always a half-truth. And remember what I've told you, that Satan traffics in half-truth. If you are chronically unhappy, chronically depressed, chronically filled with anxiety as it relates to your Christian experience, it is because you're living with half-truths instead of the whole counsel of God. Remember what I've said. This quadrant within Protestantism of liberalism, charismatic, dispensational, and covenant theology. 99.9% .9 chance you've been influenced by one or more of those traditions. And each of those traditions traffics in half-truth. It's a hard thing for me to say. I don't like to say that. I'm not just ranting and raving. I'm, it's with tears sometimes that I study and I research. It grieves me because I know that you're suffering from it. I know that you're not getting the life-giving gospel, the whole counsel of God, the whole purpose, the whole plan of God. You're getting some truncated version of the gospel that is much more marketable. Because after all, these days, isn't that what matters? Is that the gospel that we sell is marketable? Isn't that what matters? That we have a Jesus that the world will like? Somebody that fits a Hollywood paradigm? Someone, a Jesus that we can be sentimental about? But he can't save us. That's the problem. A Jesus that's presented to you based on half-truths can't save you, let alone give you a life worth living. But the Jesus of the Bible says that I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The Apostle John said, I'm writing these things to you so that your joy may be full. So there's a promise there's a promise of joyful spirituality. A life that is true life. That most of you have been robbed of. By the half-truths within Western Christianity. We have these pastors who call themselves pastors. 
who are really entrepreneurs, building a big thing, big business-oriented business model called it the church. We have lots of false shepherds and charlatans on the airwaves. And what we don't hear in the source of your unhappiness, I'm telling you, is that what you don't hear is the voice of your shepherd. So what we're doing here on these podcasts called The Unhappy Christian is helping you identify the problem and propose some solutions. So I want you to know that if you're in Christ, it's because what God has done. He has chosen you from the creation of the world that you should be holy and blameless, not just a sinner saved by grace. What good does that do? What kind of a gospel is that anyway? That you believe in Jesus, nothing changes, life goes on the way it is. The only difference between you and your unbelieving neighbors is that you get up and go to church on Sunday. What, what good is it? <clears throat> I've talked to you about how instead God has adopted you into his household. And it's an adoption that is serious. It's legal. It's not just sentimental. It's not just a sentimental phrase. When Paul says you've been adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure, his pleasure and will, God was pleased and it was an act of his sovereign will that he chose you to be a true member of his household, a true member of his family that bears a family resemblance the resemblance of looking like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, praying like Jesus, that your conduct reflects the, the life of Jesus in you. This is what it means to be a Christian, that you're walking in the power of the Spirit in intimate, joyful fellowship with the Father and the Son, and that you're in a community that is rowing in the same direction that you are. I know that's hard to find these days. There's just so much of what calls itself Christianity that simply isn't. But there are good churches. There are good communities. I'm certainly not the lone voice in the wilderness. I'm a member of a choir. And there is a, there is a growing choir who says these things, saying these things, both in the academy, within New Testament scholarship, and it is beginning to filter its way down into the pulpits and consequently into the, pul into the pews. So there is good news. God has always had his people, but as I've told you, the people of God have always been a remnant of the remnant. Just because you attend a big megachurch doesn't mean that somehow you're sitting amongst all of God's people. It's a sorry state, I realize. It's a, it's a hard thing. But all the great saints and theologians throughout church history have all agreed that the, that the people of God are not found among the masses. Israel was a tiny people when God called them. Not, and God put his love on them, not because they were some mighty nation, but because they were a, a tiny people, a small group, really. 
Jesus referred to his disciples as little flock. Fear not, little flock. And so God has ordained that true religion would be minimal in the world, but present and real and powerful and transformational so that you have hope in him. You wake up in the morning with a sense of joy and delight, no matter what your circumstances, no matter whether the rent's going to get paid or not, <clears throat> no matter whether your spouse and you have to be getting along the night before, no matter whether uh, there's some threat to your employment situation or your children aren't doing well, there's some health issues. I mean, life goes on. But the joy that God gives us in his son is not circumstantial. So you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And he has made known to you the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And by the way, which he fulfilled in Christ. And so we're talking about this, how God's eternal plan to create a people for his glory who are worthy of his presence. That is to say, they reflect his glory, his holiness. They reflect his character. And that purpose is what I want to talk to you about in the remaining time here. That purpose has been fulfilled. It's not lingering out there in some future by and by. That purpose, my friends, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God's eternal purpose for humanity has been fulfilled in the one man, Jesus Christ. He embodies, he personifies, he demonstrated the full realization of all of God's eternal purpose for humanity. And if you are in him by faith alone, then God's eternal purpose, as it was realized and demonstrated and personified in Jesus, is at work within you as well. And that is the source of your joy. That's the source of your delight in, in living. That's the hope. And that's the green pasture that I refer to. In verses 11 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, we read again in verse 11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, been predestined according to the plan of him, now listen now, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God's eternal purpose for you, where he set his, his affection, his love, his grace upon you. It's being worked out in you now. What I want you to hear today is that while life can be filled with regrets, who 
doesn't have regrets? Who doesn't wish they could have made better choices? Especially if you're getting older. If you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, or 70s, you may be looking back in life and say, oh, I wish I'd have done that different. Oh, I wish I'd have made that choice. You may be grieving choices that you've made. And you may be wondering if you can ever make a full recovery from those choices. Let me just assure you, you haven't gone too far. If you feel that way, if your regrets are something that bother you, then that's not the, that's not the regrets of a hard heart. That's the regrets of a softened heart. So the central point here today is that God will not allow you to get outside of his grace and his reach. That's the point. That's the point of this text. In him we were also chosen. Being predestined according to the plan of him. Of him. Not our plans. Of his plan. Who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything that has happened to you since you came to faith in Christ has been something that God has worked out ultimately to conform with the purpose of his will. God will not allow you to get outside his grace and his reach. God gives us freedom. He restores to us liberty. We, we live with a sense of newfound freedom. And we make choices. Hopefully, most of them are good choices. But some of us have made some bad choices. Some of us have stepped into it, if you will. We've been stepped, we stepped into the trap of the enemy. Perhaps we've experienced a divorce. Perhaps we've experienced a betrayal. Perhaps we've suffered in our health. Perhaps we've made choices that have caused us to suffer in our health. Perhaps we have said or done things to friends or family members that have cost us their trust. There's a lot about life that is about recovery. Choices, actions, and sometimes those choices and actions put us in a position where we have to recover from our consequences. But God will not allow you to get outside his grace and his reach. You are not terminally unique. You are not terminally flawed. The Bible tells us that no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. I know it may, because it's so personal to you, it may feel like no one else could have ever gone through this. No one else has ever felt like I felt. But that's not true. That's the voice of the enemy again. You're, you're, you're terminally unique. That's the devil. That's the enemy. That's the enemy of our souls. That's the darkness talking. You're terminally unique. You've gone too far this time. God's not interested in you anymore. You might as well give up. But that's a lie. And there are even preachers who will tell you those kind of things. 
but I'm here to tell you that he's working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And he's doing so with a purpose, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. When you realize the depth and the breadth and the width, even get a glimpse, you don't have to even fully realize it, but if you can get a glimpse of the broadness and the depth and the, and the width of, of the grace of God in your life, you begin to realize that while you've made a lot of bad choices, perhaps, and while you have deep regret, that God has not allowed you to get outside his grace and his reach. Even the prodigal son, if you remember in the uh, parable, he spent his whole inheritance on prostitutes and lewd living, ended up in a pigsty, which for a Jew was a pretty low place to be, longing to eat what the pigs were eating. But it says that he came to his senses. He came to realize what he had done and determined to make his way back to his father. That's a work of grace. He was still his father's son, by the way. And this was affirmed by the fact that the father ran out to meet him when he seen him coming down the road. He didn't say, you crummy, lousy son. But instead, he greeted him, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, ordered the fattened calf to be slaughtered for a party to celebrate the return of his son, who was dead and now has returned to life. So God will not allow you to get outside his grace and reach. That's, that's the practical, glorious uh, reality of sovereignty. There's a lot of people who talk about God's sovereignty. There's a lot of people who talk about it as if it was a simply an abstract doctrine. Do you believe in God's sovereignty? All right. You better. Well, there are some practical, beautiful applications to that truth. And that is, it simply means that God has always been at work in your life and and he will never allow you to get outside his reach. It's just not something that's going to happen. His desire for you is that you not try to, and that you instead move toward him daily. You come into his holy presence crying, Abba, Father, and learn to fellowship with him and to walk in his will and to do as Jesus did, because that's where our happiness is. And so, he's working everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will. Well, we'll talk next time more about this. We'll, we'll probably wrap up this little review of Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. I want to encourage you to continue to read this uh, passage. Read, read Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. 
ideally, uh, read it first thing when you get up in the morning and read it at night prior to going to bed. Let it be the first and last thing you do. Uh, let it get down deep into your mind, into your heart. Because there's so much in this text that is foundational to your well-being. It is your identity. It is your purpose. It defines the basis for your hope. And it defines the basis for joyful spirituality, which again is what we're all about in this podcast. I know it's entitled The Unhappy Christian. And I did that because I know there's so many of you. <laughs> My purpose, again, is to help you out of that unhappiness and to find the joy that you can, that is yours by birthright, spiritual birthright in Christ. And do that by coming into a greater conscious awareness of the voice of your shepherd in your life. So next time, we'll talk about the work of the Holy Spirit some more. How he marked you with a seal. The security. And the unconditional reality of being in Christ is so profound. So many times, security is abused. So many times, that doctrine is, is seen as a license to be in Christ and live like you want to. But if that's true for you, then you have every obligation to question whether or not you're even in the faith. Now, a person, a person who truly understands the depth and the beauty of the security of being in Christ simply means that God is at work in you, that God began a work in you, and he will complete it. And he'll never allow you in between to get outside of his reach. So if you've sinned, if you've done something to utterly destroy your life or your marriage or your business or your health, I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know that you're not outside of God's reach. God has not given up on you. It's, it's we who move, not God. God does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still the gentle Savior, the loving Savior, the Savior that you needed at one point in your life when you first put your faith in him. And he is still that to you today. So take heart, rejoice, and join me again, I hope, for our next episode of The Unhappy Christian. May the Lord bless you and keep you and strengthen you and comfort you in his presence. Until then, amen.